the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If, if your child has begun acting a little bit crazy, you know what it's all about. You were a kid one time. You remember it. We're making our contact right now, who, our first guest today. Well, my first guest is sitting in the studio right now. Robert Steinbach is here. Law, you know, he's law professor over at UALR, Bowen School of Law. His opinions are his and his alone and do not necessarily reflect that of the school or Bowen School of Law. But joining us in just a moment is going to be Major Garrett. Nico, that Major Garrett, the guy he's with CBS now, used to be with Fox? Yeah, that Major Garrett. He's got a new book coming out called Mr. Trump's Wild Ride. And he is, he's ready to talk to us. And this, is, this was fun to put this together because uh, the day I got the uh, notice from the publisher that they wanted to have him on our show here, the day before, Robert and I were talking on the air and we were talking about who did we think was one of the better news reporters on television and the first word this is not true robert the That's first correct. words that came out of my mouth is the guy i really like right now is major garrett that's right and that's like the pope saying you're really a good catholic okay <laughs> i'll take it uh, i will take it it's like a good housekeeping seal or a better business bureau or something right it's true it was it was so funny because i got that and i said man they must have been trolling and listening to my show <laughs> So they decide to to your show, man. Everybody listens to the show. Absolutely. If you want to know what's happening in the South, you got to listen to my show for sure. I got to. I'm serious about this. I think you're one of the better objective reporters that I watch on television. Most people are into that whole, uh, you know, uh, not objective reporting, but. You know, let's go out and do a story that is all fluff and makes everybody feel good and then just get the people that agree with you to talk to you and all of that. Uh, look, I've got my journalism major from college, and I, uh, I wanted to be a journalist. I was for several years and until I, I went into my, my news director with a story, and they said, well, you know, I don't know if we should do that one, Dave. We got a couple of advertisers that won't like it. And it got spiked. <laughs> Major, it got spiked, and it was at that moment I knew it was time for me to go to talk. Sure, I can, I can understand that. Um, and for those in the audience who may remember me, I was at Fox for a long oh, time. Yeah. I'm at CBS now, CNN. I uh, work for U.S. News and World Report, Washington Times. I've been a, I've run the gamut. I've been everywhere. And one thing has been consistent. Whoever I work for, I do it the same way. And that's to go pursue the story, not already have the story cooked up before you go out to pursue the story. Thank you. And 
just let the facts fall where they may and get out of the way. Don't tell the audience what to think. Just tell the audience what you know, what you've learned that's most important about that story that day, and then leave it at that. Well, Bill O'Reilly was on yesterday on the show and said to tell you hi. Well, that's great. I hope hope he's doing well. He is. Uh, And, uh, you know, I had a very, I had a great run uh, at Fox for eight years. Uh, We parted as friends. That doesn't always happen in the industry, as as you well know. Yep. And uh, we were, I was good for Fox. Fox was good for me. So there you have it. All right. So. Uh, you've got a new book out. It's called Mr. Trump's Wild Ride. Anybody who has ridden a roller coaster knows all about, you know, (laughs) the crazy frog out there that you can ride or the wild mouse or whatever. But uh, you call it Mr. Trump's Wild Ride. And, um, you know, the chills, the thrills, the screams and occasional blackouts of an extraordinary presidency. Now you've covered a lot of presidents besides Trump. Yeah. Is he the, is he really the most unique person that you've had to report on? Unquestionably, and uh, the country feels that the country experiences that. The news comes at all of us; those of us who are here on the White House daily, in lots of different directions at many different speeds. Sometimes there's tremendous velocity and volatility. As I write in the book, President Trump is completely unique in our experience as a country, and his election tells us we're in an experimental frame of mind. Every other previous president did one of two things, sometimes both, but usually one of two things, either had an established political track record that you could look at, votes cast, speeches given, etc., or led large armies victoriously into battle. President Trump didn't do either of those things. As a matter of fact, he sort of lived his life a sort of both of them. And that his election tells us something about our recalibrated expectations of what you need to be a president. And he brought a completely different skill set, a completely different attitude about how the White House works internally, how it projects its message externally. And the book is really about what has happened already. First 18 months of the Trump administration, lots of things have happened. And for those in your audience who may say to themselves in their car or around the dinner table, you know, what's happened? What, what has he done? Is the media ever going to pay attention to that? Well, I do on a daily basis. But if you want it all in one place, I would recommend the book. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to read it. I can't, I can't wait to get it. Robert Steinbach is here. He's a law professor here at the Bowen School of Law. He joins us. You had questions for Mr. Yeah. Garrett. Major, uh, what I find so surprising with the press since Trump has been elected is a total change in the dynamic. Of course, the press is made up of individuals, and they've always had their political perspectives. And I have no doubt that both on the left and the right, it seeped in, and we would always be on guard for it. But that has changed. Now it seems to me that the press... Um, ha- doesn't pick any bones about showing their true colors and they take the bait every time Trump challenges them. Trump calls them bad guys and they start to argue with Trump as to whether or not they're bad guys <laughs> in, a, in, in an effort to, I guess, convince either Trump or the audience that they're not bad guys. So they've moved away from being reporters to being advocates. And I think, frankly, that's exactly what the president wants. They fall for the game 
almost every time. What do you think of my assessment? I think it's 100% correct, and your eyes are not deceiving you. Um, I don't speak for the press collectively, the White House press corps or anyone else. I speak for myself and what I do, and I hold myself accountable, and the audience holds me accountable every day. I have a good relationship with the president. I've known him for a while. I started covering him in uh, early August of 2015. Did not know him before then. Never met him, never interacted with him. So all of our interactions have been strictly within a political context. Mm -hmm. But to your point about this emotionalism and the sense of counter-advocacy, that comes across. People see it. People feel it. And to the degree my colleagues here have asked me for advice about this, since I did cover the campaign, it's been to do exactly what you said. Don't be an advocate. Don't be emotional. Cover the story. Mm-hmm. Cover the story. But she will decide what to do with the facts of that story. It always has. It always will. We are not advocates, and we certainly aren't entitled to any emotions about this presidency. We are professionally unentitled to emotional reactions to any president. It's happened. The country has spoken. The person is here. Cover the institution. Cover the president. The country will decide what to do about that information. That job's big enough. Responsibilities enough come with that. Stick to that. But to your point, when the president challenges and people get emotionally involved and ratchet themselves up in his very presence, it proves an underlying point. His and his supporters. You guys are invested in this for some other reason than journalism. That's the last thing we should be doing. And I, in my daily comportment here at the White House, try to just stay with the story, stay with the facts, and leave it at that. Now, you do a good job of it, uh, Major, I believe. You've not fallen for um, moving away from objective journalism and moving into advocacy journalism. And I see it more and more, and it's taught more and more in colleges, and it's disgusting as far as I'm concerned. Well, I I started in Amarillo, Texas, uh, as a police reporter. That was my first job out of the University of Missouri School of Journalism. I grew up in San Diego, came to the Midwest to go to what was then, and I still believe it is one of the best, if not one the best journalism schools in the country. And everything I learned there, I took to my first job in Amarillo, Texas, as a cop reporter. Was there for two years, was a cop reporter in Las Vegas, Nevada. Then I was in Houston, at the Houston Post, a paper that doesn't even exist anymore, but it existed back then, 14th largest newspaper in the country back then. And then I got to Washington, because that was always my goal. And whether it's a cop story or a political story, same, same things apply. Facts, accuracy, curiosity, and high energy. All those things are what a good journalistic story is built on. And if you stick with those four, you'll be in good shape. Don't worry about anything else. Yeah. And really, that's what the book is about. One of the things about the book I'm really proud of in this context for both of you, because I think it's sort of an underlying part of this conversation. The president complains about this a lot. The sources, unnamed sources, whether they're good or not, bad or inbound, I'm not here to debate that. What I'll tell you in the book is everyone is on the record. Everyone is good on Good for you. That's great. Because I, I believe that's a verification measure for the readers. They can verify it themselves. That's exactly right. They read it and say, does anyone complain publicly about that quote? Guess what? Nobody has. The White House hasn't complained. Nobody. Because it's accurate. I think the press further does itself a disservice. And and, uh, just to be clear, when I say the press, of course, I'm grouping uh, disparate factors together. And it's just a generalization. Uh, Acosta. Right. Acosta. But but (laughs) we... 
it's perfectly legitimate for people in the press, that's probably a better way to phrase it, to say the president said X, we've gone and checked, and uh, X is not an accurate number, let's say. He said something cost a billion, it cost uh, a half a billion. I'm just making up the example. But that's... Sure, right, of course. That's perfectly legitimate. That's fact-checking anybody, and the press can say that statement was wrong. But the press does two other things now, or again, people in the press too often, I believe, do two other things that I think again, are silly. One is they will routinely call that a lie. Now, lie requires intent. Maybe sometimes it is a lie. Maybe sometimes it's not a lie regarding whomever you're talking about, not necessarily the president, anybody. But that's a big leap, and you better be careful when you make that leap. And the press does it, uh, or at least people in the press do it routinely, and I think that's a problem. And then the second thing is, which I think perhaps undermines them even more, is that then there are issues that are not purely fact. Like the president says that the caravan is an invasion. Well, the word invasion is a characterization. It's an opinion. It's a description. I think it's accurate. But I can see where people say, well, we usually think of invasions as being more uh, oriented towards the military. So I don't use that word, some other person might say. But the press, in this context, routinely said, that's a lie. It's not an invasion. It can't be a lie when it's a characterization. And again, the press comes off looking highly biased. Um, So I wanted to share those two examples with you and get your reaction as well. Sure. And look, when I first got in the newspaper business, in uh, the summer of 1984, big, bright lines between editorial pages and the yep. And as I've watched the television industry develop, and I got into the television industry late in my career after almost 18 years as a print reporter, two books under my belt working at newspapers, news magazines. So I'm, I was late to the TV game, but I've watched it change before my very eyes. There's been a tremendous blurring between reporters and those who come on to offer opinions slash analysis. And our industry has done a great deal to blur these lines and confuse viewers and consumers of news about what's news, what's straight-up news, and what's in either in analysis embellished or straight-up editorial commentary. Mm-hmm. So we've confused our own audience mm-hmm. by blurring these standards, I think, to our detriment. And as I learned during the Trump campaign, talking to Trump supporters at more than 75 rallies, which I attended, they would say, look, I don't trust the media to be an arbiter of what's a fact anymore. Besides, even if candidate Trump is inaccurate about this one thing or another, and I talk about this in the book, he speaks to me about larger truths, larger truths to them about trade, larger truths about immigration, larger truths about the political system and whether it's rigged in favor of them or against them. Those larger truths for Trump supporters far outweighed in their own significance. And guess what? Voters get to decide what's significant, Mm -hmm. not me. Mm -hmm. Voters decide. And they did decide. And when the president says invasion, guess what? He's the president of the United States. He can say that. Call it whatever he wants. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Then the public decides whether it collectively agrees or disagrees. All we're supposed to do is tell the country what he says. Show the pictures, show the underlying facts, and then back away. Because our political system, we've been through a lot in this country. Mm-hmm. We've dealt with a lot of huge issues. We do it openly, we do it collectively, and we do it over time. And I think one of the underlying points you make is sometimes it feels as if the press is trying to adjudicate these things in the moment mm-hmm. and get in the way of that process. 
Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. That's your impression, that's your perception, totally valid. All I know is what I try to do is just let people hear, develop their own ideas, and let them decide over time. All right. His name is Major Garrett. You've seen him a long time on television covering uh, what's going on in Washington, D.C. He's got a new book out from All Points Books. You can get it anywhere you get your books. It's called Mr. Trump's Wild Ride, the Thrills, Chills, Screams, and Occasional Blackouts of an Extraordinary Presidency. And uh, just a couple more questions for you, Major. A couple of things in the book that I'd like you to kind of talk about that you've seen up close and personal. Talk about how Newt Gingrich tried to control (laughs) Trump on tweeting and uh, how negotiations ensued about that. How'd that work out? Well, uh, yeah, control is too strong a word. Uh, (laughs) Everyone who knows Donald Trump well knows there's no controlling that. But uh, I I recount, again, on the record in the book, it's a delightful story, a lot of fun to hear, a lot of fun to write, uh, and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback, people reading that story and really enjoying it, getting kind of a kick out of it. This former speaker of the House who I've known for almost 30 years uh, covered him when he was in the minority and then as speaker in his political afterlife, and I was a significant advisor to this president, said he went into the Oval Office one day and said, you know, 80% of you would be 100% better. <laughs> and got to the president. Great line, don't you think? It is a and good line. It's Newt Gingrich. <laughs> and the president said, you're talking about my tweets, right? And Newt said, yes. And then the president said, and I recount all this in the book, you mean 95%. (laughs) It's got to be 95% of my tweets would make me 100% better. And then the speaker said, no, I meant 80. And they never got to the underlying question of whether he should tweet more or less because the president wouldn't get off negotiating with the former speaker of the House exactly what percentage of tweets he really liked. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. I think in a certain way, that's the president in a nutshell. (laughs) I I would agree with you. Major, we're out of time. I want to thank you uh, for giving us some time. Maybe in the future we can get you back on, spend a little bit. Yes, we can. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Come across what you like, and we'll have another conversation if you'd be so kind. I'd love to do it. All right. That sounds good. Thank you very much, Major Major. uh, Garrett, here on the Dave Ellswick Show, CBS News Chief White House Correspondent now. Used to be the chief White House correspondent with Fox for eight years. Smart guy, good, smart guy. Good guy on to, to have on here, and a guy that I like uh, as I watch him do his job. Hey, did you know there are 567 different ways to claim your Social Security benefits, 2,728 rules in the Social Security handbook? And to make matters worse, well, the you know the guys up there that sit up in the, the wells of the House and the Senate tell the Social Security Administration, they are actually forbidden to offer you any personalized advice. And it's no wonder why there's as much as $10 billion in benefits they go unclaimed every year. Learn how you could wring every nickel out of your Social Security benefits in the up-to-date 2018 Guide to Social Security. From David Lucas, host of the David Lucas Show, right here on 101 FM, The Answer. To get your free 2018 Guide to Social Security. Be one of the first 10 callers right now at 501-653-6690. Call 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.